Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Detroit, Michigan, it's time for Detroit Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Detroit Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Joseph Samples with Samples and Young. Welcome, Joseph. Good morning. How are you? I am doing well. I'm really excited to learn about what you got going on at Samples and Young. Tell us how you're serving folks. Well, it's uh, serving in, in uh, many different capacities uh, and grateful to be able to serve. You know, one of the things outside of helping people make better financial decisions and, and doing that in education and providing the information, we also find ourselves many times uh, I'm not going to call myself a counselor to take away from the work of people who do counseling, but we do find uh, a lot of stress nowadays when it comes to finances and especially coming around the holiday season. So we find ourselves being voices of objectivity with our clients and, and a lot of times with uh, people who are becoming clients to help them just feel more confident and better in their decision-making process when it comes to their finances. Oh, yeah, it's keeping us busy nowadays uh, with all that's going on in the world. I'm sure it is. Now, for those people um, who aren't familiar with a, a financial advisor or financial coach, can you explain uh, how the relationship works with your clients? Great question. And I'm so glad you used what I would call the operative word of how we work for and with our clients. You use the word relationship. And that's really what comes into play. So we are not what I would call transaction uh, one time, hey, come in, let me buy this and that's it. No, we, we actually take a very holistic approach with our clients. And that holistic approach starts off with a client sharing with us what is their vision? What is their goal? You know, how would they ultimately want to see their financial picture, whether it be something that's in the near term or long term? And so what we try to do is take that vision or that way the person sees their finances and then we actually try to put actual measurements to it. So, for example, anybody can say, I want to retire. OK, well, we need to understand what age so we can actually have a time frame associated with it. And then also when someone says, well, I want to retire and be financially well off. Well, financially well off sounds good, but that's not a dollar amount. And that financially well off can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So we try to get more specific, make it measurable, uh, put a timetable to it and, and make sure the goals and objectives are realistic. And then our role is to assess where the person is today in relation to what they say they want to see in their financial situation. Measure that out to say, hey, you're right on pace to do that. Or here's some things you can do to improve the situation. So we're coming in to add value to help them be more efficient and effective with their finances. And isn't it an additional part of your job to really clarify to the client what retirement means? Because retirement for some people means I'm just going to be sitting at the beach or I'm playing golf and fishing all day. But for other people, they want to have kind of more of a life of purpose and meaning and they want to have a legacy, like there's other kind of intangible parts of retirement that aren't just kind of financial. So true. So true. You know, uh, one of the things that I've seen over the years, Lee, I've been doing this for over 24 years now, is the landscape of how people view retirement has changed tremendously. Um, just as you started off in your question, yes, some people still have the desire of hey, when I'm done working, I'm done working and I'm sitting on a beach. Uh, but nowadays we find more people who are looking to maybe uh, go into what I would call refirement, where they're trying to actually do something meaningful and purposeful for others 
now that they don't actually have to go in for a nine to five. And in some instances, it may all be completely volunteer. In many instances, uh, it may be where there's some form of compensation. But ultimately, uh, you're right. And, and the other thing is, too, people are looking at ways to say, well, what can I do to make sure my overall you know, a state and, 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 and succession plan is in place outside of just looking at me comfortably retiring the things I've accumulated. How can I make sure I have those things passed on, whether it be to another organization or individuals within your family? And at what age are you typically beginning work with a client? Great question. So, uh, you know, it used to be a point in time where I would say I work with pre-retirees, people who are planning and saving solely toward retirement. But nowadays I find myself uh, helping a lot of what I would call young accumulators, people who are just starting off in the workforce, because what has happened, uh, a lot of my clients are making it generational. And what I mean by that is going back to the relationships that I've had with my clients. So many times I've heard people say, I wish I would have done this earlier. And we start to have the conversation of, well, it's good that you're starting now. That's the first thing. But the other is, then let's turn around and then reach out to our children. So I have a lot of clients who have referred their children um, who are in college. Some are actually setting up savings accounts now, uh, investment accounts, and some who've just graduated from college. And and that's the thing, uh, you know, Lee, is that there is a myth out there that many people believe that you have to have a lot of money to work with an advisor. Um, Again, there are many different advisors here in Southeastern Michigan and across the country. So I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. I require two simple things. One is that you have an advisor or advice friendly mentality, meaning you're looking for someone to help you and you're ready to receive the help. And the other is that you have some means or ability to save. So either you have income or you have access to means to save. And so if we have those two things, we can definitely help you come up with a good savings or financial plan. Well, kudos to you for that attitude of serving the entire family. Um, I do this every day and I talk to business owners and I've talked to plenty of financial advisors in my day. And I found, I don't know what the stats are. You probably know the stats better than I do. But a very small percentage of the financial advisors of, say, the parent actually become the financial advisor of the child. Um, I don't know what the industry numbers are, but I would imagine it's a very small. Like the, the, the advisor tends to focus only on the person who has the money and doesn't care as much for the kids. But to to really look at the family as a whole, that's kudos to you because I think that's a, a missed opportunity for a lot of advisors. It, it is. I mean, it, and the thing is, uh, it, it, you, you referenced it too, is what I used to hear years ago, uh, especially when it came to when we talked about insurance as an example. Um, ultimately to pass on some form of legacy, truly you can accumulate investment accounts, buy rental properties, things of that nature, but we've seen it. You know, we went through the recession of 07 and 08 property values can go down the same with uh, equity or, or stock or mutual fund portfolios. So you never know when your day is up for us to transition from this life. But in order to make sure you have a certain dollar amount that you want to pass on to a family member, it can only be done through life insurance. And I've heard people say in the past, and they don't hear it as much today, but they would say, I'm not leaving that much money for my kids because I don't want them to squander it or blow through it or waste it. And so what I also stress to parents is that the earlier we talk to our children about how to better and to manage money, the more confident you are with passing on and leaving a legacy with them. 
And so a lot of parents have also agreed with that. And uh, one of the questions I'm always asked is they said, how soon should I start talking to my kids about money? And I say the moment they ask for something, because they then obviously have an idea of the value and the concept of how it works. Well, I think that um, if you're not educating your children about the power of compounding, you're doing them a disservice. That's right. That's right. I like to say compounding interest when it comes to investing is your BFF, your best friend forever. It's what makes it work. Right. And the sooner you start, the better it is. It doesn't even have to be a lot. It's just the discipline and uh, of doing that activity over and over again is what's going to pay off. Got it. So now um, when you're working with your clients and they are um, kind of coachable, I guess, is, is uh, I'm reframing your words a little bit, but they're open to learning. Um, do you see them kind of have these light bulb moments that uh, after talking to you or that something they didn't realize that they thought they knew? Oh, definitely. Yes. Uh, and that is also, again, you know, our, our primary focus, again, is on the, the education. And so what happens for most of us, um, just as you touched on, if parents aren't talking to their kids about, you know, money and how to handle money, they're doing a disservice. But really, if, if, if we look at it, Lee, for mainstream America, uh, talking about investing and managing money really didn't come into play until the late 90s, maybe the early 2000s. So you have a generation of us uh, that I would call, you know, uh, middle income America that didn't ever have conversations with their parents about money. And so what happens, whatever they've gained or learned, it was through trial and error or what they heard someone else saying. And when you sort of explain to them, uh, that's not really how this works. And that's when you have that light bulb moment, like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Or, you know, or I always wondered how this actually came to be. So uh, I think right now where we are in, in the, the, this generation, the time era that we're living in in the 21st century is now more than ever, people, no matter what your economic level is in America are having to talk about how to have better money management because it's ultimately dependent upon us at this stage. No longer are the days of working somewhere 30 years and getting a healthy pension and expecting a healthy check for social security. Um, If you want to have financial wellness, it's going to be up to you and setting aside a portion of every piece of dollar that passes through your hands. Now, when you're working with your clients regarding this and putting the systems in place, I'm sure that's part of your um, conversations is put systems in place so it's not relying on their willpower to do it uh, on a regular basis. Um, How do you kind of create a roadmap and and, um, with checkpoints that are showing that they're doing the discipline, but it is also kind of there's a psychological element of it. You mentioned it earlier where any market has ups and downs. Like, you know, there's no sure things in this world when it comes to finance. How do you kind of talk them off the edge when eventually it's cyclical? Well, uh, you know, the market goes down or the housing market goes down or rentals go down. How do you kind of do that part of your job? Because I think that that's, Again, it's it's one of those parts of the job that you may not be compensated for, but that's the key part to to help them have the discipline to stay stick it out during tough times. That's right, and that, that's a great point. And so, um, the first thing is there is for for most of America, the outside of their home being their largest investment uh, that most of us will make uh, in a lifetime. The next is going to be a workplace retirement savings plan, and the 
primary reason why a workplace retirement savings plan is going to be the largest investment account that most people have is because it comes out of their check before it even gets into their hands. But when you talk about processes, uh, I think that is first the the, the, the the hugest benefit to saving for retirement, that that money goes in before you even get a chance to touch it. So it's out of sight, it's out of mind, and it continues to accumulate over time. And that's what I stress to people. That is the best way to build a portfolio even outside of work. So some of the processes that we put in place is we'll have uh, electronic contributions. We'll, we'll link a bank account with an investment account have a specified amount and a date for it to go out. Um, so that way, again, they're not manually having to save and invest. But the processes that we put in place is we we create a plan and the plan is actually documented. They have a copy, I have a copy, and we will actually review it at least one to two times a year to check back in to see how are we progressing based upon the plan. So those are the I would call it mile markers. You know, all of us have seen mile markers on the freeway that just give us an idea how we are between each of the exits and, and where we are. You know, those were the days when people used to read maps. Now we do the GPS. But for lack of better terms, that's our GPS we create to see where we are in relation to the plan. And, and of course, there are going to be instances when there are external events that take place in the world. It could be a job layoff, the passing of a loved one. Um, many different things that it could affect or take us off the plan, but no different with the GPS. When we sit down to meet, uh, we will recalculate and recalibrate and figure out how we can get back on. Or are we changing the course of the destination because of some of the external events in life? Um, so that's that counseling part I talked to you earlier as well that comes into play where people can vent the frustration, the concern, the fears. And a lot of times it's good to go back and remind ourselves as we look at the plan to help them see many times that we're not far off, even though it may feel that way, but we're not far off and it's just a few adjustments we have to make. So that's that objectivity part, I think, that helps ease, uh, you know, the nerves when you have very tenuous moments in life uh, with things that we can't control. Now, does that also come into play when we have like these kind of uh, once in a lifetime things like the pandemic, like there's one thing when a, like a housing market in one region goes up or down or all of a sudden becomes hot or it doesn't become hot. But when you have like kind of a global pandemic that's impacting everybody, is that a different kind of conversation or is it just, it's, it's just similar of just hanging there, hold the course. I, I'm going to say it's both. The, the reason I say that is, you know, I've unfortunately, uh, seen uh, some individuals who have had family members pass from the pandemic, which has had to change their financial situations. And so that's the, you know, I obviously can't say the hold on, you know, hang in there, you know, because now it's still the pandemic still going on and they themselves are even exposed to it. But it's a matter of reminding them of what they've already put in place. And so, you know, we have a plan and that's the best thing is that we were proactive with the plan before anything happened, anything that's unforeseen. And that's the whole point of planning. You plan for unforeseen events. So we're going through it right now. Uh, but at the same time, uh, one of the things I, I like to always share with clients is we look back over history. Uh, we've had over, I believe it's 15 different recessionary periods that have occurred from many other events, which I'm sure those who lived through them at those times we're just as concerned uh, as we are during this pandemic. But, you know, it, it is stated that there's nothing new under the sun. So meaning that life's events will happen uh, and we just continue to hope and pray that things will get better. And what I, I like to keep it this simple, especially when it comes to equity investments, Lee, is that all of us 
are consumers. You know, we're consumers here in America and our economy is a capitalistic economy. So meaning that it only works when we consume. And the stock market is made up of publicly traded companies that sell us goods and services. So as long as we continue to consume, even though the rate of our consumption may slow, whether it's unemployment or other things such as the pandemic, but ultimately, as long as we consume, there always will be a market. So it's just a matter of us getting through this rough patch and allowing things to return to what we would call, quote unquote, normal. I think it's interesting that you. Uh, what's important in a, <clears throat> in a solid plan is to have some historical context and to understand history to remind ourselves that, hey, we've been through, a, you know, this may not be exactly what has happened, you know, 20, 50, 100 years ago, but it rhymes, you know, like it's, it's in the neighborhood and, um, and look at history and look at how the markets behaved historically. And if you kind of believe in America, like it sounds like you do and believe in that we're, our, our economic engine is a driver for not just America, but the world. And do you believe in that? Yes or no? Like, if you don't think we're, um, an economic driver, then maybe you shouldn't be in equities, you know, but if you do, then it makes sense. Just hang in there. You got it. And that is the part of the education, you know, sharing history, having the conversation. And, and that's the other thing, too. I mean, so in terms of how we work with our clients, uh, obviously, just like how you and I are talking today, this is just one conversation. But going back to, as I said, we have to have a relationship. So there's multiple phone calls. There's multiple meetings. And nowadays, more Zoom meetings and Skype meetings uh, and FaceTime meetings that we're doing with clients to just have those conversations. Uh, each and every time we talk to our clients, it's always not about, you know, making an investment or changing an investment. It's actually to make sure they can be heard and that we can address the concerns and that they can have a better understanding of where things are and how it's affecting their portfolio. Well, the, it's like you mentioned that most people are busy uh, living their life and they are not kind of paying that much attention to all these historical trends and all this stuff uh, in the equity markets and all the all the kind of minutia of this. But they see these headlines and they see these kind of doom and gloom uh, messaging from all different kinds of probably not the most reliable sources. And it's easy to go, you know what, I better, you know, I got to make a move because the world, you know, the sky is falling. And to have kind of a steady hand on the on the wheel that's kind of reminding you, look, that is true. This happened or this didn't happen or maybe you're misunderstanding this. Somebody, you know, that's kind of watching your back is a critical, you know, part of the team, I think, in anybody's, um, you know, kind of uh, portfolio of trusted advisors that they're, hopefully they're surrounding themselves with. That's right. Well, and, and that's the, 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 the part that I always like to share with people is that when I'm working for them, serving them, they're delegating the responsibility to make sure we, we monitor what's going on with the portfolio and to make sure that we still are in line. So, you know, that, that, that's the thing. So with people, and it, it all depends upon where you are on your roadmap to your goals and objectives. So for those individuals, for example, who have been saving for their children's college, their child is a senior in high school right now and markets at a high point, but we're maybe going into second phase of the pandemic that could cause a recession. Well, we want to make sure those funds you've set aside for your son or daughter that's going to school in the fall, we've put them in a position where they won't be so adversely affected 
by what's going on in the world. The same thing with the person who ultimately had already planned on retiring in 2021. Uh, the, the main thing that creates risk with a portfolio is when you have money in an area that is exposed to the market volatility, but you're also needing it in a very short time frame. So as long as it's funds you've earmarked or identified, you know you don't need for at least five years or more, um, definitely equities is an area you still want to look at. But if the goal or objective of you needing the money is within you know, the five years, and especially at this stage in the game, uh, with a lot of clients, we've already repositioned them out of the market uh, into more of a little bit of a stable area, such as bonds or cash. Uh, so that way they won't have have that concern of, hey, I thought I had 10000 here. Now it's only seven. No, we, we've already secured that because we know you plan on using the funds. But for those of us who have those fun, you know, funds that's earmarked from our retirement still 20 years from now, we hold the course. Right. It's it's not it doesn't have to be all or, or all or nothing. You can have piles of money that's job does different things. Like one pile could be for 30 years from now. One pile could be for 20. One could be for 10 and one could be for two. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I always like to use the analogy. You, you look at your investment portfolio, your investment accounts, very similar to our wardrobe. So meaning, you know, over this last week, unfortunately, we've had to start pulling back out the big coats and the sweaters and the hats. But these were things that we didn't touch, you know, the months of May through August. Uh, we were wearing different outfits at those times. So just as the seasons change and we talk about the seasons where you are in life, you have different accounts to to meet. The, the different seasons or me, means or objectives that you have. Well, Joseph, if somebody wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation about their finances with you or somebody on your team, what's the website? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Best way to get a hold of me. I actually have a, a, you, you, one of the things I'm ashamed to say, I'm not as what we would call nowadays social media as I need to be, but I do have a LinkedIn page. You can find me there at Joseph Samples. Uh, you can also uh, email me directly. My email address is joseph.samples at prudential.com. And uh, also, I'll, I'll just share for those of you who like to use what I would call the antiquated way of speaking by the phone. Uh, my phone number is 248-304-1005. Good stuff. Well, congratulations on all your success. And thank you for doing the work you're doing. We really appreciate you. Well, Lee, I appreciate having the opportunity to come on this morning and to, to dialogue with you and just to, you know, hopefully for those of you who are listening and, and heard our conversation, uh, it's just a matter of having a plan, staying the course and uh, trying to be as objective as possible uh, when it comes to your finances. Good stuff. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Detroit Business Radio. 